0: Hi, welcome to Offscript, I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're looking at The Little Mermaid, the new Rob Marshall feature from Disney, also a uh, very prominent live-action adaptation. I think if you're an adult listening to a podcast on your phone in 2023, you know that, and I don't need to tell you. Uh, We're also going to look at Reality. It's an HBO film. Just came out Monday, late Monday evening. Weird time to premiere a movie. Uh, It's like 85 minutes. It is a surprisingly good little feature, uh, almost like an experimental docudrama about Reality Winner, uh, who is an NSA whistleblower who leaked some content and the FBI came and found her. Stick around for that. It's actually... Really cool. I'm surprised at how cool that was. Uh, we're going to talk about Khan. It happened again. <laughs> we're going to go over it. Andy's got some hot details for us. I'm excited to see uh, what he's bringing to the table. And before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week Movie Pass is back. I don't believe it, Andy. What are we on
1: Somehow, somehow <laughs> Movie Pass <laughs> returned.
0: Yes. Uh, a la Emperor Palpatine. Uh, movie Pass is back. Uh, we talked about this last week. This was kind of coming back into the fold. And we talked about Movie Pass movie pass in the past on the show uh, movie pass was an exciting uh very fleeting uh social experiment where people could get a movie pass card and go see a movie anywhere they wanted in the united states this came out what like right around the beginning of covid end of covid i think this was a thing no before COVID. it was like 2017 2018. yeah and it was a couple of years before covid and and it, it quickly burned out because they had some hot pricing model that it was not affordable for them for them didn't work out company went under but now it's back Kinda. What is this about, Andy?
1: So when MoviePass first kind of burst on the scene a few years ago, it was offering $10 a month for unlimited films. Uh, this was way too good to be true, and it lasted for about nine months before they ran out of money, went bankrupt, and the, the original uh, owner-founder, uh bought the rights back and is now releasing it and so they've come out with four pricing models which are much more reasonable and sustainable the very basic one is ten dollars a month and you can see anywhere from one to three movies we're not real sure what that means uh maybe it depends on format uh and then 20 30 and 40 dollars a month 40 dollars a month it was basically unlimited probably won't get a whole lot of people doing doing that one um and you earn credits as you go to things. That's all we know. We don't have a huge amount of details, but it, it was released over the Memorial Day weekend.
0: Uh, if you're watching the Facebook live stream right now, I've got the visuals up for these like four subscription tiers they have. From what it's worth, like they range from $10 to $40 a month. Uh, they range from being able to see one to three movies a, a, a month on the basic tier to 30 movies a month, one per day. Uh, there's like a credit system. I don't really understand. I'm sure if you go to their website, you can learn more about it. But from what it's worth, like... I'm... I'm a little surprised at how not bad this offering is like in comparison to like what Cinemark is doing with their Cinemark rewards program or AMC does with their stubs program. Like the idea of paying a low cost every month to hopefully see more movies than you would see if you were just buying tickets outright is not a bad model. And in a way, like the reason AMC stubs and Cinemark rewards exist is because of pressure from movie pass in 2017. Like those companies vehemently wanted nothing to do with MoviePass. I'm a little surprised. They're still involved at all, but reportedly you can see features via MoviePass at AMC and Cinemark. Those are things you can do. Um, I'd imagine like the credits count towards like when you see your movie, right? If you go see like Friday evening versus like Sunday matinee, that'll make a difference. But for what it's worth, like if you're paying $10 a month and you're getting like three films, that's worth it. Or if you do your your $40 a month for the pro and you're some like, you know, freak (laughs) shut in that goes and sees a film every day or something, like, or I don't know, maybe. Uh, senior citizens that often go to the theater right because they need something to do like I whatever whatever your reasons are like both of those price points seem pretty pretty attractive i think to me even though i'd be wary of the brand just because of their history
1: you know yeah i think i think just looking at this even the the very basic one ten dollars a month it's a deal if you see three movies in a month um i mean you've de- definitely earned your money back that would cost you like at least thirty to fifty dollars just for the tickets. Um, so it's definitely somewhat of a deal. And then I'm sure there's some people where it might really work for.
0: Andy, are you gonna subscribe to MoviePass? When are you getting no. your, your card?
1: No, I'm already subscribed to uh Cinemark's uh subscription, which is like eight, nine dollars a month. And so they they already got me. And that was the one thing that MoviePass did do. It it forced all these chains to create uh you know, subscription services. Uh, and that's the other thing. It's coming into this environment, having to having to compete with, is the, it it created its own competition inadvertently?
0: Yeah. Uh, keep it here on off script for more from MoviePass. We'll keep a tab on it, but neither of us are getting it. Uh, I'm in the same boat as Andy. We're in the pocket of big movies. Our next story, uh, a quick one here. How to Train Your Dragon's live-action adaptation finds its hiccup and astrid. Uh, If you haven't kept up with this, DreamWorks is pursuing Disney's live-action adaptation model. It's been very profitable for them, and they've decided they're going to start adapting their CGI features, or at least that's the one they're starting with, How to Train Your Dragon. Find One to Pick, uh, directed by Chris Sanders, Dean DeBloy came out in, uh, got what, like 20, 2009, I think the first one came out, 2010. Uh, they've made a few sequels and now, uh, they've got their leads, Hiccup and Astrid. And and while I don't know the girl who's going to be playing Astrid, which is terrible, uh, what is her name? Nico Parker. Nico Parker. Uh, I do know the guy playing Hiccup, Mason Thames, 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 because he is the lead of The Black Phone, which was a very successful horror property. Um, and any hot takes on oh, Disney's strategy here? Uh, the the picks. What do you think? Disney's DreamWorks strategy. Excuse me.
1: Yeah, I think the, these are great, great picks. Uh, Mason Thames was great in in the Black Phone, which we saw last summer, I think. And then Nico Parker was actually most re- recently seen in The Last of Us. Uh, she plays the, the daughter of the the main character, um, and she she's not in in the show for very long, but she's got some really powerful scenes. Um, throughout she like solid v- incredible actress um so i i think these are really solid uh pictures and we'll it'll be interesting to see what dreamworks does if they just do like a paint by number do it exactly what they did before or if they you know try to write a, a different kind of script something that works better in film than than animation
0: They've got you know a, a good they've got a good bench working on it for what it's worth. Uh, Dean DeBloy, who who co-wrote and co-directed the original film is doing this one. He's writing and directing this one. He also wrote and directed I think two and three. So like you literally have the same guy, which I think is probably the best possible scenario to make this work. Uh, this was actually a frustration of mine in our little mermaid review coming up in just a couple of minutes uh, after our next story. But uh, for what it's worth, like I, I think you've got. You know, you got a strong team to put it together. I just don't know if people will care. Like, I'm imagining watching the trailer for live action out of Train Your Dragon and feeling like, didn't they just do those? Because, you know, Little Mermaid came out in 89 and getting a remake in 2023. Bit bit more distance than like 2009 <laughs> and 2023, but we'll see. Uh, you know, keep it here on script for more. Uh, one more story from the box office this week. Uh, Little Mermaid swims to a $118.6 million Memorial Day debut. Definitely a big win for Disney's live action department. Uh, though I hear it might be struggling overseas. Have you heard this?
1: Yes, uh, I have. Uh, this is a, like like Zach said, big hit here at home. Very familiar, very American property. Uh, it opened to a huge two million dollars in China. Uh, American films don't translate particularly well uh, in China at all, and we don't get a lot of our films over there, like because of uh, censorship to begin with. Um, but a lot of cult- cultural things just don't transfer very well. Fast X actually is doing good business in China, but uh, Little Mermaid not so much.
0: Yeah, uh, there's not really a good reason for it. Uh, The one reason that I think people are pointing at I haven't seen how this all works, but it feels thin and, and it concerns me that this may actually be like a big part of the reason the movie's doing poorly, but fundamentally, uh, it's because of the recasting of Ariel. Apparently, there's been some big social media campaign in China and people really don't like it. It seems hard to believe that that would be a reason it would drag a film down, especially in a market as big as China, but I don't have any other reasons to point at. That's the one the Hollywood Reporter's given me and I'm just reporting it here on the show. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Like, that feels thin to me, but like, it's a CGI heavy feature. Feature, those typically play really well overseas like any
1: any reasons uh it feels it feels a little thin i don't know if it's so much that it's um backlash over there as much as the fact that there was just controversy around the film film at all has turned people off um but also again it's it's very americanized the whole it's very western just the whole prince and princess kind of setup. um and so it's it's a big cultural difference in uh chinese audiences just aren't very interested.
0: Mm. One more story from the box office this week: uh, Universal's Fast X slides into number two as it crosses the five hundred million dollar mark. They're going to make those movies forever. <laughs>
1: they're never going to stop making it's, Fast and Furious. It's series. so crazy. It it had a sixty six percent drop off. It domestically made twenty three million o- over the weekend, but it's again, like you said, across five hundred million internationally, and then that that's you just can't. That's a huge amount of money still. So it, yeah, they're going to keep making them.
0: Yeah. Well, keep it here on off script for more from the box office. For now, we need to move into our first feature. Uh, I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. So please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is The Little Mermaid. Oh, the mermaid. So the Little Mermaid is a live action remake of the 1989 beloved animated classic from Disney studios. Uh, the original film was written, directed by, uh, Ron Clemens and Howard Musker, uh, sorry, John Musker, excuse me, Uh, two very prominent creatives at Disney that are fundamentally responsible for the Disney renaissance. I'll explain what that is in a second. But for the film, uh, The Little Mermaid is the story of Ariel, one of King Triton's seven daughters, uh, the royal ruler of the seas, uh, who is uh, frustrated with her life. Ariel is is uh, frustrated that she has to live below the waves and there's all these exciting things happening just, just above the surface, right? Boats and ships crossing the ocean and a handsome young prince named Eric on one in particular who she finds a fancy for one night during a fireworks show but uh, she strikes a Faustian bargain with a sea witch Ursula to <laughs> sacrifice her voice uh, in order to grow, grow legs, go on land meet Eric and hopefully forge the love of her life and she in just three Three days time uh it's quite 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 the deal uh without a voice will ariel be able to rise to the challenge become human and hopefully embrace the life she wants or will she be trapped to a life of being a princess uh, below the waves uh, the movie is the little mermaid it's about two and a half
1: hours long andy uh what'd you think so overall <laughs> i didn't really like it but it was there's a lot that does work there like I like like half of it like there's things that work and then there's a lot that doesn't there's a lot of filler I think just simply trimming up the film like it's two hours 15 minutes way too long for a kids feature um but if you kind of trim some of that down I think it would work better but there are some highlights there are some good moments um like some of the music some of the visuals are really great but that it just goes on forever the Longest Mermaid, that's I have
0: ever Yes. Uh, I've got a tragically lukewarm take on this movie. I really do. It's not a good take. It's a bad take. I know it's a bad take because the same take I have on most of these live action features. But I'm going to save that for the end. I, I just want to take a minute and talk about what works in this movie. Because fundamentally, uh, Little Mermaid live action remake uses every element of what is successful about the first movie. And, like, the Little Mermaid came out in 1989. And for the people who don't remember, like... It fundamentally started what is the Disney Renaissance, that thing I mentioned in the intro. Uh, in the 80s, Disney is starting to flounder with their animated department. They don't really have direction. Walt Disney is dead and gone. They need somewhere to go. And CEO Michael Eisner figures, hey, you know what? Maybe we can start buying old properties just like Disney did when he bought the rights to Snow White and he bought the rights to Winnie the Pooh and bought the rights to Mary Poppins. Maybe we can take old stories and like adapt them into something that kids might like and with the help of Ron Clemens and John Musker, they produced The Little Mermaid in 1989, which immediately kicks off a string of very memorable Disney features. I mean, you can rattle them off in your head, right? Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Hercules. Uh, uh, these are movies that come out of you know them, basically, like taking the studio in a bold new direction. And part of the reason that works is because The Little Mermaid is a very tight 90-minute feature like that has a really solid plot all the way through. Uh, you've got your young, very likable uh, lead protagonist so you got your fun underwater setting and her overbearing father you got the prince who they kind of dance back and forth a couple times where they actually meet the sea witch who takes her voice uh the challenge of trying to get to know him and 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 hopefully get him to fall in love with you through all of act two the big act three finale like if you've seen the movie you know everything that happens and when disney does a live action remake they either go with exactly what worked before or they wander off a little bit and go in a different direction like mary poppins returns or cruella which is actually pretty well received um, this movie does the former, it follows the, the original to the letter. Like I thought that extra half hour in the runtime would, I don't know, like expand it or grow it. And it doesn't really do a whole lot. It's just longer. Cause it can't move as fast as animation can. They're people, right? Like they gotta, <laughs> things, things just move a little slower. And there's a couple extra songs, three extra songs to be specific. What Andy, when was the last time you saw the original?
1: I don't remember. This was actually the first movie I ever saw in a theater though. Really? I that. Oh my god. Well,
0: that's 1989. A great, that's baby. a great throwback. Yeah, and here we are. All, all the way back here. I'm sure we it played are. great in a the theater. <laughs> Um, yeah like I think this movie has like everything good about the original one in here like it's actually great start like you've got uh, you open on Eric which is cool open above this above the sea and then he loses something over the side of the boat as it tumbles down you get your opening credits Ariel finds it with flounder she's collecting stuff because she's got her grotto of like human things that she keeps and sings about because it's very heartfelt to her like dad doesn't like it he's got a little history with 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 uh, the the old world of of humans and he wants nothing to do with Like, all that stuff plays really well. Like, all of that works fantastic. Uh, Ursula the Sea Witch, played by Melissa McCarthy, is not bad. And I should say, really quick while I'm thinking about it, the standout performance here is 100% Halle Bailey. The rumors are true. The critics are correct. Like, not only is she singing great, like, she's the probably the best part of this movie. Melissa McCarthy's fine. She gets a couple good lines off. I, honestly, be- better than I thought she would be as Ursula. And, of course, there's Jonah Howard King, uh, who plays Eric, who... I'm not familiar with what he's been in previous, but he's a little lukewarm. He's 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 a little fine in this movie. Like he's not great. Eric's a bit of an airhead anyway, so I think that's like to be expected. Um, he, he's he's okay.
1: Yeah, our our cast is is pretty solid. Um, Halle Bailey is great. She has an incredible voice. Definitely deserves this role. Um, Javier Bardem as King Triton is good. He's not in the movie enough um he kind of had a larger role i i feel or more more scenes uh yeah melissa mccarthy did do better as ursula than i kind of gave her credit for but i also feel like she's restrained because she's basically just mimicking the performance from the and i mean she does the poor unfortunate like it's all the lines and that's one of the problems with these like you know what's coming and you're like oh here's the song here's the line Here's the next line um so i I it would have been interesting to see what she could have done just given more room to to kind of be her herself then we we also have the voice talents of uh Davi Diggs as the Crab Sebastian Jacob Tremblay as flounder and Aquafina as scuttle the seagull um they're actually in the movie uh quite a bit they're Ariel's friends of course uh reprise roles from from the animated. A uh, bit. Aquafine is a little annoying in this, this movie. I was <laughs> She's got that grating raspy voice and she's yeah. got the terrible lin Manuel Miranda song.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to mention, yeah, there's three new songs in this feature. None of them are half as good as the original work. Um and all the original songs hit so good, man. Part of your world is Excellent. Like, it, it was great in the old one. It's great in this one. Like, goes big at the end. Fantastic. Poor Unfortunate Souls. Charming. Nefarious. Love it. Um, Eric's weird I Want song, Uncharted Waters, has a good chorus, but, like, weak in the open. Like, as soon as you see him start singing, you're like, oh, no. We need to cut like,
1: him out. <laughs> we'll <laughs> cut all his scenes. Who gave, who gave just about. Eric and
0: I Want song. Yeah. Uh, I don't recall. Oh, uh, I... Ariel's actually got a decent one about about the challenges of walking for the first time. It's okay. It's actually shot better than it's sung, I think. Uh, and and Aquafina's got a song called "Scuttlebutt," which is like. It's rough, dude. It's it's fine. I think if you're like, and that's worth mentioning here. Obviously, this is a children's film made for kids. Like, I think if you're a kid and you've never seen the original, like, you'll probably think this is good stuff. Like, it's it's surprisingly more colorful than I think a lot of these Disney live actions tend to be. It's not quite as dark, which is good. In those early trailers, I was like, "There's not enough light. I can't see anything." Uh, So I'm glad they tuned it up a little bit. Uh, I think everything works above and below the waves. The CGI isn't even that bad. Like, I I really wanted to hammer like some of the water effects because after seeing something like i don't know avatar 2 where they actually like filmed in water tanks like it's, it's a little phony watching a movie shot on green screens and be like they're underwater but like it's no worse than something like ant-man like if anything it might play better because you, you just i don't know you don't mind too much your brain doesn't care too much about them not really being like it's fine like uh, overall, like I, I think the experience of this movie is comparable to watching the original. I really do, and like I think I think very highly of the original. I think this one's right up there with it. Like I I, I don't think it's a bad feature.
1: It's just so long. So the the uh, the the poor on, on, the first hour is good. The first hour was my favorite. That's in where we get the, some of the classic songs. We get you get the falling out between Ariel and King Triton, and uh, the first hour ends. With uh, Ursula, M- Melissa McCarthy's poor, unfortunate souls, that's that's a great first hour. But then it should wrap up in like an another half hour, and it's there's another seventy five minutes, and it feels like the movie just keeps starting over because it it's like it takes so long for her her for Era to lose her voice. Then she finally gets on land. It seems it is like a whole new movie when she's on land because it's literal fish out of water. Um there's a weird scene where they're like in this like marketplace. And I was like, this is for when you go to Disney so they can recreate this at Disney. Um,
0: I thought thought the same thing. It's like, this looks like a a Mandalorian set that they were like, yeah, put some, (laughs) put a red scarf on this thing. And yeah, well, this will be great. Like, yeah, no, Um,
1: and it's a new song. So they'll sing the new song when you're in line at Disney or, or whatever the Disney parade is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just way too, lo- too long. I think if they would have trimmed it down, like, Eric doesn't need all these uh, extra scenes. There's just the thing about, like, oh, you, you're going to be king one day, and you need to be more careful. No no more going out on the ships for you. Um, yeah, he's got a backstory that, that can just go. It, we don't need it. It's all about Ariel. Um, but, yeah, the, the pacing is so long. I, I heard a conspiracy theory that these movies, these remakes are really long because they can make good babysitting options to... Put your kid in front of it for two and a half hours yeah. instead of 80, five minutes.
0: You can get sneaking a great nap at two and a half hours, like with your kid over there eating popcorn. Now, I, a couple other things I wanted to say that I like about this before I move on to like what I struggled with, um, if I haven't gotten there already, uh, diversity needs to be celebrated in this movie uh shockingly diverse cast like i i think people might have just seen hallie bailey and been like a black ariel how could they which is ridiculous that like the worst take in 2023 um but everybody in this movie is like stunningly like spread out and i think that's a really good thing like we've got a marketplace full of people from all over the world uh we, we've got a queen who's black in this movie uh even though eric is notably white like that stuff plays really good and that's a great influence on kids like it really is like that's a good thing that is a good thing to see in cinema. I, I'm a fan. Well done. Like good choice. And like for what it's worth, like yeah, I I it is long, I think, but it also feels grand. I feel like if I was a kid watching this, like by the time Ariel gets out of the water onto land, you're like, oh my God, this is like the biggest it's like Lord of the Rings. Like it's such a big epic thing. Like it feels very large in scale because we're jumping from setting to setting. Uh we've got a witch that comes in like 35 minutes into the feature. Like it it feels very large, like, and it feels very encompassing. And I think even that, even like, I, I think it even tugs at the heartstrings in the right places. It's surprisingly emotional when Javier Bardem is like having a really sincere conversation with his daughter, Ariel. Like, he's great in this movie for his few scenes and is like very chill emoting. Like, I think he comes across really well. Like, I think, I think all that plays
1: really good. It's emotional. It's big. It's diverse. Like, good stuff. I think part of my loss of immersion. So I saw this at the uh, Coyote drive in in Fort Worth, um, and re- re- I was kind would of recommend I,
0: really quick. Would, like Coyote Drive-In, because I haven't been. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, no. It's actually it's really cool because they they have like a an eating area with like a couple of food trucks and concessions, and then like the the screens are are elsewhere. You tune in with your car. It was, no, it was, it was a great little place uh, yeah, just yeah. outside of downtown Fort Worth. Um, but we were kind of far back, and so it was, I couldn't get a lot of, like, the detail. And it's like, there's cars coming in and out, there's kids running around, like, it's kind of loses the, or, like, I wanted to be a lot closer when the, the Ursula song came on, because I just couldn't make out a lot of the visuals.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah, well, we went and saw the an Alamo Drafthouse. Uh, Christine ordered food during Under the Sea. <laughs> Which, like, it was funny to me because during, like, the it's a kid's movie. Like, I feel like the musical bits would be the parts you pay attention to. Like, but we've seen the movie. It's the same song, right? And, and honestly, like, I do think some of those songs suffer more in live action because you don't have, like, you know, the extremely vibrant color palette of, like, an animated feature of, like, ink on, you know, ink on glass. And, and this movie does a fine job, like, of getting over that way. I think for, for the kids in the audience that were with us, like, they had a great time. It was great. Um so I think like in that way I like I think The Little Mermaid is is fine live action adaptation one of their better ones but like what I wanted to get at what I've been hinting at since we started this is, is this kind of fatigue I'm really getting with these live action adaptations like I, they just I I just feel like every time I watch them, I'm thinking I'm going to be bored while I'm watching this. And then I inevitably am because Disney can't decide whether or not they want to make it exactly the way the other one was or they want to wander off in a different direction. And wandering off is is a lot more creative and it's a lot more engrossing for older audiences that have seen the originals. Uh, But sticking to the old ones works really good selling tickets, right? Like I get it, you got a bottom line, your business, so you got to make money. Uh, so just like Beauty and the Beast, they were like, "We're just gonna make the same damn movie," and like it's it's almost like frustratingly to a fault at times in this movie like the, Sebastian will make the same joke the same like offhanded line throwaway line right he'll say the same thing again and it'll be in the same way and the cut will be the same and it's like man it's it's so similar to the old one like it reminded me of like that psycho shot for shot remake starring Vince Vaughn yeah <laughs> like it's so close you know and 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 that really did frustrate me like that leads to to boredom for somebody like me uh and that sucks you don't want that when you're watching one of these movies
1: yeah, I felt the same way. It was, like you said, you know, the songs are coming. You know, the lines are coming. You know, I mean, that's the thing when you can guess the dialogue before it happens, it's kind of just like, well, I I already know exactly what's coming. It's not very exciting. But again, I'm not the target audience. Yeah. This is aimed at, ch- at children, and not 40 year old men.
0: Of course. And ultimately, like, I think that was the thing I, I wandered away from this thinking, like, while I enjoyed it, like, I can't help but feel like. The original Little Mermaid, like, was an important movie for Disney. It was, it was really important, like, not only because it told a story really well uh, about something really sincere and and pulled an emotion from you know, from the audience that they weren't normally getting, but also because like it fundamentally was a crucial step in turning around like a studio that was. Beginning to decline, like in one way or another. And like that happened from this incredible, like, blaze of creativity that came out of like a team of individuals who were like painting on glass slates and putting them under a camera and sliding them around and adding ADR later and music and being like, yeah, I think this will work and like just cobbling a script together. And like all of that comes from like creatives that are really challenged and are are pressured, like, like coal in an oven to turn into a diamond. And that's what they made, like, something so incredible that stood the test of time. And in a weird way, like it's strange to watch the remake and feel so little of that here because it's not made by a team of people who are being squeezed like down to their last, I don't know, brain cell. Like it's made by like a team of individuals who are like copying off somebody else's homework. And like that kind of bums me out, you know, as an as an old person who's not supposed to be watching these <laughs> movies. Like, it bums me out. And like I I miss that blaze of 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 passion that like I think those old movies had. I, I these these remakes like fundamentally lack them. And like what if that's the Disney magic? You know what I mean. What if that's secretly the thing that has built Disney into the company they are? Like, and if these movies don't have that, I I, I wish some did. You know, maybe we'll get that in Elemental next week. <laughs> maybe the Pixar acquire was a big step for Disney. Like that was that was a big one, right? Like in those movies, pull at your heartstrings, like a way a lot of old features did. Maybe we'll get the live action Up remake soon. You know, like I don't know, but um, it just bummed me out. It's it's the one thing about this movie. Like I really wish there was a way to to tweak my brain and and forget the old one or something because I can't. And and this one I, I think didn't it didn't have that and that bummed me out. Uh, any other thoughts on this for recommendations, Andy?
1: Right, well just to comment on that, that uh, yeah, like, like I said, I'm fine with them doing a remake, but like rewrite the script. Like think of live action, not. Because what works on in live action films is different from works in animation. You can, uh, you know, update it in a lot of ways. The, the dialogue, the the issues. It's supposed to be a coming of coming of age story. Um, and it's just like you're not even trying. Like I said, copying some you copy in someone else's work, your own, or it's like you turn in the same report three years later <laughs> for a different class. Um, yeah, and it's just bland and 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 uninter- 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 uninteresting.
0: Yeah, there was a uh, an old science project in my high school growing up that every every chemistry class would do coming through. You, you it was it was like make a diorama kind of thing. Really simple. Uh, and Christine did it uh, when we were going through high school. And then two years later, when her brother came through, he was like, hey, can I just use your diorama? And she was like, sure. So he dusted off took taking a class. Got to be plus. Great. Like, and he got he got the satisfaction of knowing that, like, he he did something with very little effort, like, to get a great result. And, like, way to go. You've outsmarted the system. But, like, I really would have liked to have seen what his diorama could have been. You know what I mean? And, like, that's how I feel about the Little Mermaid remake. Like, great. You, like, well done. You know? Like, A plus a+ completion grade. You're going to make a ton of money on it. But... I don't know. Like I, 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 I'm too old for Disney. I want more. <laughs> that's, that's my hot take on The Little Mermaid. Uh, Andy, would you recommend uh, The Little Mermaid?
1: Uh, I would say if you're interested in it, I, I would say probably the best experience is going to be in the theater with like the big sound, the big visuals. That's going to work way better in the theater than at, at home. So if you are interested, and again, it's a kid's movie. If you have young ones, Definitely for you. If you're a little on the, on the fence, I would say skip it or say save it for streaming.
0: Uh, I'm kind of in the same fan. Fe- I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I think it's good. If you get if you got kids, say them seen see Little Mermaid. Especially, if I haven't seen the old one. Like, if you like the old one, I think you'll like this one. Like, it's it's surprisingly emotional. Like in moments, exactly when it needs to be, just like the old one did. Like, I it's good. Would recommend. I want to make that clear in case anybody comes and haunts me later in my life and says you thought the Little Mermaid sucked. No, I didn't. <laughs> I think it's good I think it's just as good As the original I just I just wanted a little more You know Like yeah And if you're skeptical Like it'll be on Disney Plus In what 90 days Like and you can watch it All you want You know You can watch it You double feature it With the old one You can see all the things That are exactly the same You'll love it Um, I know I would And that's The Little Mermaid From Disney Uh, Now Much more important things To move on to Andy uh, What are we talking about
1: next It's time for the death of cinema So the uh, Cannes film festival, the Cannes film festival in uh, France, which is an annual major major uh, film festival, happens every year. Uh, just wrapped up, and we're going to be talking about a few films that that rose to the top that are going to be kind of in Oscar contention in the uh, in in the fall that we will that you probably haven't heard of, but we want to get into because you know things like Killers of the Flower Moon, you already know are, are coming, Asteroid City, the, uh, these kind of bigger names um but we're going to talk about uh a few here we're going to start off with May December which is a new film starring Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore this was uh purchased by Netflix um so they'll be pushing it for awards this uh, Natalie Portman plays an actress um who's playing Julianne Moore's character, and she's going to visit her to see her to just learn about her. You know, she's doing actor research uh, with this uh, old older person, um, and the reason it's kind of it's called Main December is that Julianne Moore's character is infamous, um, and her story is based on the Mary Kay Letourneau story, loosely based on that same situation. If you don't know, uh, Mary Kay Le- Letourneau was a teacher in the late '90s who had a Inappropriate relationship with uh, one of her sixth grade students. Um, She went to prison for seven years. She got out. They got married. Very strange. But that's the Julianne Moore's character is based on that story. And Natalie Portman is an actor doing research for for like like a movie about this. So it's very meta and it's very and that's why it's called May, December, May, December. so it's like a hot subject, and there's a lot of buzz about this movie. What do, what do you think about this, sex? Uh,
0: I did not know that story, so I appreciate you sharing it on the podcast. That sounds like a great screenplay, like just... Damn, man! Like, yeah. if somebody's elevator pitching that to me, it's like, oh yeah, Natalie Portman's gonna play Julianne Moore. She's falling around with a notepad, and I was like, okay. It's like Julianne Moore's teacher did this horrible thing. Like, oh, oh, hold on. <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, that sounds hot. All right, yeah, great. Like, I think that could be neat. You know, like it sounds scandalous. Uh, Natalie Portman's great. Love Julianne Moore. Like, all right. What What I want to know about because uh, you got it on the outline here, but I've heard of this a couple times and rumblings on film Twitter. What is What is Zone of Interest? What What is this movie?
1: Uh, th- Zone of Interest is the was the Grand Prix winner, which is kind of like second place at Cannes. Um, and it is a fil- it was a film by an English director, but it's in German, and it's about a family. It's it's weird. It's a it's about the Holocaust, but it's not about the victims. It, it's actually about people in charge. It's it's a film about this family who. Um, Basically lives next to Auschwitz and is trying to like you know build their ideal life while this like horrible thing is happening next door. Um, and I mean it's a difficult subject matter as as you can tell. Um, but I've I've heard a lot a lot of buzz. Hang on, the trying to see the who the director is. Yeah, Jonathan yeah. Glazer, who did uh previously did uh, Under the Skin, um hasn't made a movie ah. in like like ten like ten years. And his this is only his his fourth film, um, but yeah, th- this has gotten a a lot of a lot of buzz. Uh, particularly the the lead actress uh, Sandra Hewler is both in this and the other film. We're going to talk about that one, the the Palme d'Or, but it's um it's going to be a, a heavy th- thing. We don't know too much about it other than it's you know it's a story about a family trying to to build. Yeah their their ideal life right another, to a concentration camp
0: yeah another killer idea i know it's based on a book by martin ames i think and shout out to sandra Huler for being like double double build here for the two big winners for Khan, but uh on jonathan glazer like nothing <laughs> both cinemas is littered with directors who made something weird and then dr- stepped out of limelight for like a decade <laughs> And you never, you never know what they're coming back with, right? Like, is it going to be fire? Is it going to be trash? Anything could happen. But Zone of Interest clearly uh, is generating some serious buzz at Khan. I'm excited to see it. And like I said, I, I've I've just heard rumblings on Twitter. I've seen a couple memes or a couple things where people are like, we got to talk about this movie. Like it's great. Like I'm, right. I'm really excited to see I, what that's about.
1: And I didn't realize I've I've seen two of his other films, Birth and Sexy Beast. Uh, Sexy Beast has an incredible for- performance. Um, I. Ray Stevenson, right? He's in that, but he's not a... Oh, I can't remember. Who's the guy? guy? I thought that was him. Who
0: am I thinking of? I don't know. Funny story about Sexy Beast, uh, in case, I don't know if you're Googling it, but uh, I had a buddy in college, film school, who gave me a a USB drive with a bunch of movies he pirated. He was like, must watches. And I'd never heard of any of them. And that one was on there. And I never watched it. Like
1: (laughs) Ben Kingsley, that's who it is.
0: Ben Kingsley, excuse me. Yeah, I just never, I didn't know anything about it. I was never really attracted to that idea. Maybe we should watch it for the podcast at some point.
1: Ben Kingsley's like an out-of-control gangster. Love it. It's it's so great. Um, love,
0: love an out-of-control gangster movie.
1: Good. <laughs> the the other film, the big winner, Palme d'Or winner, was a film called Anatomy of a Fall. And all, all I know about this, the tagline is a woman is suspected of her husband's murder and their blind son faces a moral dilemma as the sole witness. Um, she, again, starring Sandra Hewler. Uh, who I, I guess plays plays the woman who's an author trying to defend herself in in this murder. I don't know too much about this, but again, it was the big winner. Other big winners in, include Parasite, uh, Titan, uh, last year's Triangle of Sadness. So it's in that that vein of films.
0: Man, uh, I got to see what this movie is about. Like, again, another solid screenplay idea. feels a little looser than the other two, right? Not not quite as concrete. A murder mystery starring a blind witness who's uh, maybe got an axe to grind in regards to the victim and perpetrator. Uh, but for Sandra Hewler, like dude, she better watch out. If she's not careful, she can come over to Hollywood and get new me repaced. You're going to do like two, two or three movies that are a big deal. And then you're just going to slip back out of the limelight. And I don't know why that happened to new me repaced. Yeah. God love her. Uh, hopefully Sandra Hewler has a prominent career going forward. Cause like being in two of these back to back in the same year, oof. like God, how many people would like, how many actors and actresses die for that, that kind of opportunity? Like way to go. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, I mean, anything else exciting from con? Like, I wish I'd kept up with it better, but like, honestly, I've gotten to the point where I feel like, I don't know, unless you got some insider info, like you seem to have, uh, the, the good doctor, uh, you know, I, I can't keep yeah, up th- with those
1: it. Those are the the big winners. Uh, some other highlights, of course, asteroid city, um, colors of the Fa- flower moon, which is a uh, Martin Scorsese's latest, uh, film, which we, we talked about the trailer it's
0: eight hours uh, long. Last- yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh there's some other films we might see a little bit more of the the english language stuff didn't actually do very very well um gonna a lot of films in german happening this this year no no uh, but place, those, those are the big winners to be aware of
0: no place for fast acts at con huh nobody wants to talk about <laughs> the u.s.'s seminal masterpiece transformers rise of beasts uh from 2023 <laughs> nobody's talking about that over there shame uh no i i think that's rad this is bolt cinema stuff like if you haven't listened to the podcast for a long time this is the kind of stuff andy and i really like talking about because it's weird and it makes us feel funny things and like that's what cinema's all about baby uh so keep it on off script for more from con uh but for now when you get to the goods uh we gotta talk about this movie andy you you picked this one out i i don't think i'd even really heard about it uh and i was pleased at, at what came out of this you want to uh take it away
1: reality that was on your driver's license Oh, i lied <laughs> don't we all so this movie just came out on like monday night it came out very <laughs> very late um this is a movie about real- reality winner who is uh was an nsa whistleblower who uh leaked some documents about uh russian interference, interference with the 2016 election um she was caught in jail sentenced to five years um, she served four, and it, it is out on probation now. Um, but this is the story about her, and what's interesting is the way they tell this story is through FBI recordings. Because when the, they went to her house with a search warrant and they uh, interrogated her, interviewed her, and uh, they were recording the whole time, so they have about two hours worth of audio, and the entire script is just that audio. And, and it's, uh, Sidney Sweeney as reality winner, and then just a couple, a handful of other people, two other agents, uh, Agent Garrick, played by Josh Hamilton, and Agent Taylor, played by Marchant Davis. Uh, so it's, it's almost like a play because there's basically three people talking the whole time, and it's really, uh, Josh, mostly Josh Hamilton and Sidney Sweeney. And, uh, and it's this one of the most uncomfortable movies i've ever seen because like (laughs) these are police like they're fbi and they just kind of show up as reality gets she gets home and she's like trying to take groceries in and they're like hey we're we're here fbi with a search warrant and most people this this, they would freak out about this um and she doesn't and she just tries to be nice and cooperate it's one of those things like when you know you're in trouble and if you think if you're just real nice it'll go away uh but it's so uncomfortable because they also try to be friendly and try to make small talk. But then there's really jarring things when at one point reality goes to her car to take out her groceries. And one of the agents like j- dives in front of the door and is like, go, go, what are you doing? Go like, get back, get back. Like the, so they <laughs> jump back and forth between being like really friendly and then like acting like the police that they are. Um, and there's just, the conversation is so uncomfortable. You know, they're asking, are there, are there any weapons in the house? Is there anyone in the house? I mean, it's like she could be a big, big crime lord, and they're trying to get to what happened and if, if she released these documents and how she did that. So that's kind of that's kind of our setup. It's a really interesting um, way of shooting a movie, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it would. Uh, Zach, what do you think? So I
0: was really charmed by this movie. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. Actually, uh, I think it is a bummer. It Won't get like a wider audience. I don't think because it's a little too niche and like at it, it times it almost borders on experimental, um, which I really didn't expect. Like I didn't know what to get into. Andy said, "Hey, it's eighty-five minutes. You want to watch it for the podcast?" I was like, "Absolutely." <laughs> That's not to listen. Listen, I need to. I need. I need to say this. That's not because we're a fan of short movies here on the show. It's that movies nowadays are so damn long. Like every week we've been doing a feature this summer. Every movie's like two plus hours it's just the way it is now start checking your local movie times like movies are getting longer so it's really refreshing like when something comes out that's like short biting like you know it's going to be something cool because it's on hbo Uh, it's got an up-and-coming star sydney sweeney coming hot off the heels of euphoria like i don't know like it might be neat and it turns out it is uh uh, the movie is directed by tina Satter, who is a first-time director you look up her imdb she's got this and she was a guest once on uh Seth, what's his name? The guy, Late Night with Seth Meyers uh, podcast. That's it. That's all she's done. I know it's based on a play, which is based on uh, the actual situation that happened to Reality Winner. And the play has the same gag. It is exactly the transcript. This is, this is word for word. What happened? This is this is what we've got, and a physical recreation of it. But what's cool about this movie, while on the one hand it sounds like okay, so uh, NSA whistleblower shows up at our house, and and the FBI shows up and says, "Hey, we got questions." Right? What does that mean? What's neat is this movie doesn't present isn't, isn't presented as like reality. Winner is somebody who's done something wrong. It's presented as like almost a hostage negotiation. Like, what do you do when you get home one day and the FBI is at your house and they're just letting themselves in? And they're like, no, no, stay stay there. You're not going anywhere. And they're friendly, but, like, you're not going anywhere. it's 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 like being held hostage. It's like being kidnapped, like, right outside your own home. And there's nothing you can do because it's, like, fundamentally the power of the government of the country you're in. Which presents this really interesting mental game that you're playing right because we know that reality winner obviously is a character who's been in the news uh who may have served some time uh for the things that she's done but a lot of people like aren't really familiar with the story so to get the verbatim situation as it happened uh with a cast of characters who are really finely directed from tina Satter, i can't wait to see what she does next this girl needs a limited series or something like she's good um they present the story that's like surprisingly engaging in like a very tight timeline. Um, And it's a lot of fun. Like I, I I really liked reality. It's, it's really not a bad feature. Um, Let's get into it, Andy. Where do you want to start talking about it?
1: Well, I want to talk about a little bit about the script. And like I said, it's all based on the audio, the two hours of audio or so that they have while they're um, searching her, her house and she's being interrogated uh, during that whole time. And, they kind of keep keep this interesting by they they kind of switch between uh you hear a recording uh uh, the you know the actual recording then you'll see like the script the like transcript itself sometimes and then you get into the actual actors in the in the movie so it kind of cycles between these three uh shots and it it keep it keeps kind of reminding you like oh this is like word for word what happened on that day and, and what that what they had. And I, I, I just thought that was, that was a really interesting kind of approach and kept it really fresh. And there's par- also parts that are redacted, like, you know, it'll be showing you the transcript and all of a sudden the audio cuts out and it's all black. Um, same things with, uh, on screen when, when anything's re- redacted, the, you kind of get, it almost looks like a glitch, um, because th- you know, they're not telling you wh- whatever was redacted. Um, so that's how, something that I thought was really interesting and effective.
0: Yeah, the the redacted segments are the bits that feel like experimental in tone because um, they're so great. Like it's not like the film just jump cuts to the next part of a segment where we're not going to hear what the FBI agents were talking about or what Reality Winner said. Like it hits you with this like weird tech music sting that's real low, real bassy, and then it just hangs, and like the movie just hangs in silence for a minute, and then it just comes back. And just continues where it left off. And it does it a few times and it's really jarring. And it's a very clever meta reminder that what you're watching is not only real, but like we still don't know. The American people are still not aware of what exactly was said in these moments. Nobody knows. Like they're redacted. Nobody's nobody's gonna find out. Like all so so we have like functionally an incomplete version of events told in the most complete way possible. The very, very quickly like narrows down to a person who is guilty for something that like we have most of the evidence for, right? Like we're told is, is the correct way. But I, I, just, I love the way it pushes the boundaries of its titular reality, like both because of her very interesting name, but also because of like questioning what is really understood versus what is perceived and I think that's really charming like for a short feature to hit really fast um, and a big part of the reason that's possible is because of performances like man Sydney Sweeney is excellent in this. she's really good as this person who's really meek and backed into a corner but you can never really get a read on like whether or not she's knows something or doesn't and you're not really sure where things are going to go and that plays great opposite uh, what is his name? Marchant Davis uh, is one of the NBA agents and more importantly Josh Hamilton who is super good in this movie. Josh Hamilton, I couldn't remember where I'd seen him from. He's the dad in eighth grade. He plays outside. He, he plays the other side of uh, Ellie Fisher. They got that great scene at the end of the movie where she comes in. And she's like, "Hey, you know, if I, if I, if, if I had me as a daughter, like, I I wouldn't want her around." And he's like, "Whoa, like, what are you talking about? You know, like, really sincere and like really great." And that plays really great with these two FBI agents when they, you can't really get a read on whether or not they know or not like that she's guilty what they do and don't know like she they don't really offer information to her very quickly so she has to slowly kind of inch it like what are you guys here for why do you have a warrant what are you what are you trying to get at you know like it's this odd cat and mouse game um with like a surprisingly satisfying pace
1: yeah i was i was actually really frustrated with them talking with her because again they they act like they're your friend and and they're not the police are not your friend everyone remember that um <laughs> they they you heard it saying, on off script folks yeah it off yeah uh yeah because they keep uh you know they're, they're like you know we they're like you know we do, you just made a mistake we know you just made it we you know you're not a snowden they kept saying that they're like you know you You know of she's course, like i'm not trying to not. be yeah and she's like i'm not i'm not trying to be a whistleblower i'm you know i'm trying to she's she, you know she's trying to advance her career within intelligence uh reality winner was a uh, a linguist, uh, she knew she knew several uh, Middle Eastern languages, and was a translator. And she was trying to get kind of deployed to that area, so she was trying to kind of increase her involvement in the government. But they they kind of tease and they're like, "Oh no, we know you're not you're not a bad person. We know you, we you just made a mistake, and and you know you're not you're not you know Edward Snowden." And she's like, "Yeah, I'm not trying to be Edward Snowden." Um, and I, I was so frustrated at this because they basically get her to confess. And while they do have a lot of evidence, they don't have all the evidence. But she basically just is like, "Yes, I, yes, I, yes, I did it. Yes, I printed this out. Yes, I sent it to a news source." Um, and uh, she should have just shut up and asked for a lawyer right away. But she she doesn't, and they very slowly kind of coerce her and into talking more and more. And Sydney Sweeney does this great performance where she she basically breaks down, but it takes ninety minutes to do so. Like by the end, she's like, you know in tears and and like kind of crying through her words but it 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 happens so slowly like like she just slowly slowly. so it's like it's agonizing but it's so effective
0: there's this great story from the set of American Psycho, the Christian Bale movie, when uh, Willem Dafoe's character, who is an investigator uh, pursuing like this series of crimes that have been happening in Manhattan, which I'll lead back to Patrick Bateman, Christian Bale's character, uh, he's questioning uh, Christian Bale's Patrick Bateman, and during the scene, uh, the director—I forget her name—told uh, told Defoe, "Hey, you're going to give me three different reads of this scene. We're going to we're going to record it three times, and you're going to give me one where you don't know if Patrick Bateman's your guy. So it's a friendly conversation, right? You're going to give me one where like you think it's him, but you're not sure. So it's friendly, but like a bit more conniving. And then you're going to give me one where like you just came from the station." It's him for sure. So like you're nailing him to a wall, right? And then when they cut the movie, they used all of those takes in random order functionally. Like to get this really like scene where you can't get a read on like the investigator's intention and he just they seem like they're all over the place. And this movie is is that for 83 minutes. And Andy's right, like I don't know how Sidney Sweeney turns up on set and shoots a feature and keeps that emotion continuing to climb. For the whole feature, like it's really something else. Like it's it's a really charming character play. Like it's it's a surprisingly engaging script that comes right off the page of a very real situation. Like I can't believe how much I liked it. It's really simple, but like, dude, sometimes simple is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, and I think I think reality like might be one of those features. It's really charming. Like, really, not a bad time.
1: Yeah, like I said, as, as frustrated as I was by the FBI agents and how they treat her and kind of coerce her at, um, at the same time, it was very effective because they just, they get her talking, you know, they asked her about, you know, did you ever print anything out or, you know, they ask her a lot of really vague questions and then they hold all their cards very close, uh, you know, and she keeps trying to like kind of talk her way out of it or trying to, you know, if I'm just nice and cooperate, they'll leave and it'll be fine. Um, but it, it doesn't go that way. And, um, but yeah, re- really effective. And and like you said, she's she's slowly, slowly breaking down and realizing that she's like more and, and more and more trouble. Because, you know, at, at first it just seems like they're going to maybe do a search and, and leave and like, you know, mm-hmm. the, but the FBI agents know like she's getting arrested at the end of this. <laughs>
0: yeah it's very conniving in that way like this this yeah like i i really would liken it more like a hostage situation like because she's not where's she gonna go like what's she gonna do who could she call like to help her out of these two people who are just at her house and there's like more guys show up and black black suvs show up for people to get out and search her home And she's just trying to like keep track of her dog and her cat and it's just like hold on a second like let me get my life together here um it's very menacing and like i'm surprised at how well that gets pulled off off in 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 like yeah a short like a short feature like shorter than what was expected to be feature length um it's good stuff man like reality is not a bad time um are you ready for recommendations any other thoughts uh i am i'm ready andy would you recommend reality
1: uh yeah i would uh it's a nice short little bottle film 85 minutes um, really strong performances, and if you're if you're into like politics and particularly things like spycraft, which that that that's always what gets me is that the kind of you know kind of cloak and dagger stuff that how it really happens and um is just really interesting how this unfolded and you know reality you know she gets caught essentially, but her explaining her motivations are, are very interesting behind this because she wasn't someone who normally is. A whistleblower, like I said, she was trying to get more involved in, in her government. She was trying to get, you know, she was military, ex-military. She was trying to get redeployed, go out to the Middle East. Um, and so it's not the kind of person who would usually do uh, something like, like this, but I really enjoyed it. It's a quick watch and uh, it's on Max, the place to go for HBO. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it is on max. Would recommend. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun, actually. Um, if you're just looking for something, like, this is the kind of thing you could just throw on. Like, if you just need a little something, right? You got, you got a little less than two hours. You want to watch something kind of different. You're, you're cruising YouTube and you're bored with all the same video essays and you're like, ah, I want something, you know, oh, something a little tasty. Like, go check out reality on max. Like, it's not a bad time. I, 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 I wish it would get a bit of a wider audience. I get why it won't. Like, there are parts that are almost experimental. Like, but I, I think it's surprisingly well put together. I want to see what Tina Satter's doing next. I want to keep up with Sydney Sweeney, and of course, Josh Hamilton, uh, and that is reality. And that's our show, episode two sixteen. Andy, another one in the bag. Uh, what are we watching Look next week? That.
1: Look at that! How did we do it? Yeah. Well, we're swinging we're swinging into the spider season, and I mean the summer season with uh, Spider Man across the Spider Verse, the sequel to Spider Man into the Spider Verse very similar titles tried not to get him come across the spider verse is is the new one uh into the spider verse was one of my favorite films of that year i think it was number 2 on my top 10 list in 2017 2018 uh the long way to sequel is is finally here and i'm super excited uh, about it and that's what we're going to be getting into next week and we're going to see what what else uh TBA yeah
0: uh we'll we'll find something i'm excited about spider-man uh i'm not excited about the length it's over two hours long (laughs) <laughs> but uh, for what it's worth uh, that is a big animated feature and I've heard nothing but fire about it everybody says it's great everybody says that movie's fun can't wait I already got my tickets it's gonna be a good time uh, if you enjoyed the show today if you want to know more about reality or uh, maybe have some hot takes on our hot takes on a little mermaid lukewarm take from me it's not it's not a great take uh, if you got any stories about con or want to hear more about features we've talked about here on the show uh, the best way to do that is you can check out our website Uh you can check us out on Facebook where we live stream the show every single single tuesday except for wednesday this week because you know stuff comes up uh we are over there right around 5 p.m central usually on tuesdays uh you check out our twitter and instagram uh, where we post updates from the show things we got going on uh we're on youtube do lots of cool things happen on youtube gotta come check out the youtube channel gotta come check out the youtube channel great things happening over there uh and of course you can get the podcast for your ears uh via itunes google play spotify art media all the usual places you get your podcast you might even be listening there right now and if you are listening there and you want to do us a solid uh drop us a rating and review while you're over there huh just just slide over to your store page relevant platform we'll find it we'll get to it and uh you know let, let us know what you thought of the show five stars if you can swing it um I'd suggest less, but I mean, uh, who, who would, right? No half measures here on Offscript. That doesn't mean anything. I should wrap this up. Anyway, from all of us at <laughs> Offscript, uh, you can email us, correspondence, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for watching.